Fit and Theater of the Words presents The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future. Episode 3, A Murder on the Moon. Pierce led the Earth party under the transitway basin to the departure hangar. Its interior was awe-inspiring in dimension, and they bobbed their heads as they viewed the complex. Above the tunnel under the transitway basin was the command flight center, a small room on the second level opened toward the hangar. Large warehouse extensions capped the flight center leading up to the seventh level of the aggregate offices. They walked directly into the hangar as Pierce pointed ahead. There's our ticket home, he said loudly. At first glance, the cargo transport resembled a giant sea crab as its two dark blue stabilizing fins loomed over each side, fanning out to the ground level. They were equipped with ion thrusters, used for minute course corrections and supplemental to the main propulsion system. The thrusters were attached near the rounded peak of the ship, which housed the passengers, and from the ground level, the tiny windows of this section were barely visible. Under the passenger portion, down to the long, cigar-like body of the ship were the extensive cargo storage areas. Across this area was a ubiquitous lunar aggregate logo, hovering over the metallic pedestal which supported the ship. A wide ramp was in place for the passengers and cargo to enter through the upper part of the pedestal. Famous Rimbioli propulsion units were located at the very bottom of the pedestal, where it was connected to the ramp leading outside. As the Earth Party approached the ramp, the final preparations were still being made with workers and cargo trucks moving along the ramp. Wilson was in the midst of the Earth Party. He and Neville had remained in the rear car away from Darius Constantine. Wilson, when he saw Darius crossing the upper level, ran with deliberate speed through the tunnel in the hangar. Although Andrea would be a few minutes behind, he hurried to the moors and went to the seventh level. At this time, Darius Constantine was walking down the corridor to his office. Duval was standing quietly outside the closed door as Darius came into view. Open my office doors, commanded Darius as he came to Duval. The door spread open and the white-haired man walked ahead of Duval. Okay, Alma, let's see the scan on this directional thrusters. I have the cards for the overall scan, Mr. Constantine, explained Duval. Damn it, Elmer, I haven't got all day. Get those scans for each thruster. If we're going to look at the problem, let's not have it be half-assed. They're in my office, confessed Duval. Well, get them. We're losing time, motioned Darius, and Duval scampered from the room. Got Pierce and the rest of them waiting down there to get back to Earth, he mumbled as he strolled over to the windows. His office was at the very top corner of the departure hangar, and both of the outer walls were clear Zambian as he liked to constantly view his achievements. He gazed back toward the sector station just below the lunar horizon as the next transitway pulled into place. Looking over the transitways across the moon's landscape to the food production disks under the domes, he stared for minutes on end. An inner glow passed through his body as he realized the importance of his work to the food problem on Earth. At least five minutes passed until he suddenly realized Duval had not returned. He looked to the doors and back to the gray lunar landscape several times as he grew restless and tapped his foot on the floor. When he heard footsteps coming down the corridor, he leaned back against the window and folded his arms across his chest. His serious face would show Duval just how upset he had become. 
but his impatient scowl was at once transformed into a horror-filled shock as an ear-splitting, high-pitched sound consumed space around him. He began to walk forward, but his body was flung against the windows with incredible energy. He bounced off this ambient, sliding across the dusty floor. Someone's hands, covered by dark gloves, shook incessantly as they clutched onto the weapon's donut-like handle. Several tapering bands of bright red wire lead from the handle to the silver needle apparently was the source of the sound. Still alive, Darius Constantine slowly looked up from the floor. He was breathing erratically as he clutched his chest. Why? Why? He wanted to know. The intruder, stunned that the old man was still alive, froze, his hands continuing to twitch. I was going to tell everyone, he spoke, faltering as he grew weak. He tightened his eyes, and life slowly faded away. Duval, who had searched feverishly for the correct cards, ran down from the seventh floor corridor to the office. Where are you going, Elmer? yelled Neville from behind. Your father is going to be raging if I don't get these cards back inside. Both men seemed agitated. Then hurry! said Desmond as he passed him. That ship leaves the moon in ten minutes. The doors are closed, said Duval. He must have left. Puda, open the doors, ordered Neville as he walked nonchalantly. He's dead, shouted Duval. Darius, he cried as he ran past Neville and shook the body vigorously. He put his ear to the chest cavity, but Darius Constantine's heart had stopped beating. We've got to do something, yelled Duval frantically. You could start by getting yourself in control, Elmer. I would say he had a heart attack. I'm going downstairs and get that ship the hell out of here. Shouldn't we call Dr. Grinnell for the body? Asked Duval, who was panic-stricken. I'm in charge now, Elmer. Don't you mind about Grinnell. Stay here with the body and don't let anyone inside. I shall return later with Grinnell, said Neville as he ran from the room and the door shut behind. Wilson, who had been in the relaxation room for some time when Andrea came through the doorway. Her head was lowered and she was visibly disturbed. Andrea, what's wrong, babe? He asked quickly. I have to get downstairs now. I guess that's it, she said as she looked up at him, teary-eyed and saddened. Her lips quivered as she spoke. I'm afraid of losing you. You're not losing me, babe, he said as he took her in his arms. I'll be back in two weeks and we'll be married. I promised you that. I don't like being alone, she confessed to him. Neither do I, babe. Now come on, perk up, he said as he kissed her lips forcefully. Feel better? Yes, she smiled through the tears. Good. I'll call you from Earth. Bye, babe, he said as he turned. Don't look back, Terrence, she advised as he hurried to the mover. Neville looked out at the looming cargo transport and then up to the flight coordinator, Alan Powers. Alan, start the flight sequence. I can't do that, Neville, he huffed. There are still five people who haven't boarded. Neville grinded his teeth together as four of the passengers began to walk up the rental. He looked back at Powers with an insistent stare. Alan! Why do we have rules? asked Powers as Wilson ran from the movers across the hangar floor to the cargo ramp. Here's the last one. Neville waited at the hangar as Wilson ran up the ramp to the ship. The ramps were pulled back and the opening sealed shut. 
the final flight sequence commenced well before the schedule launched with just enough time for the final stragglers to be seated in the upper section. Wilson was the last one into the passenger section which looked more like a relaxation lounge. Low back padded chairs were scattered about the circular room. Wilson walked across the lush purple carpet to an empty chair next to an attractive woman with long brown hair. He said as they looked each other over. Is this seat taken? Why no, go ahead, sit down, she smiled. Next to a lovely girl like you, that would be a pleasure, he said as he sat down. Welcome to Luna Aggregate Flight 22 to our silo depot in synchronous orbit above the North American quadrant. The cargo transport represents a new phase in space technology, a true evolution in travel which will someday propel us through the solar system and beyond on a regular basis. The journey you are about to take, which took several months just years ago, will be completed in less than six hours. Everyone at the Lunar Aggregate wishes you a pleasant and enjoyable trip back to Earth. Flight will commence momentarily. <laughs> that Puda sounds like a girl I knew when I first came up here. Susie Hopkins, smiling at him once more. Going back to Earth City, are you? Yes, I'm on Mr. Pierce's staff. Uh, we have lots of debriefings. Could last another week. Well, good, said Wilson as the ship rumbled loudly. How would you like some lunch later? <laughs> you don't waste any time, do you? Well, if you don't want lunch, you don't, proclaimed Wilson. Who says I don't? She replied as the ship moved forward. Neville stood on the platform next to Alan Powers. His eyes shifted from side to side as he tried to keep his wits. It was all beginning to sink in now. Darius Constantine was dead and the reins of command of one of the most powerful and influential corporations was about to change hands. He wondered as he stood motionless if he could maintain his composure for just a few more minutes until the transport left the hangar. A bulky transport, traveling faster now, passed through the opening at the far end of the hangar. Entering the Zambian tube, it roared along toward the edge of the outside dome where a clear aperture locked tight. Systems check, requested Powers. Verified. Commence release, instructed Powers. And the aperture opened. The speed of the transport increased dramatically. No flame was visible, nor did any propellant shoot from the ship as in a matter of seconds it left the tube and the ramp and vanished high above the lunar surface. Inside the transport complex, force fields combated the pressing acceleration as the passengers walked casually from window to window, buzzing about the shrinking moon below them. The light from the bright lunar surface almost ceased to be bright, replaced by the clear shining stars in the distance. In the background, the gray lunar surface, craters strewn over the landscape, move farther and farther away into the darkness. We suggest that you return to your seats while the star dome is retracted. This view is quite extraordinary and we hope you will enjoy it. As the passengers retreated to their seats and the upper ceiling and walls slid downward along the hull, the unimpeded starlight completely captivated them. Collective sighs and awes reverberated around the room, which did not seem like a room at all. Rather, it was as if they were merely on a floor traveling through open space. The moon, still visible to the rear, faded at a steady pace as they headed back to the troubled earth. The youngest, Constantine, had left the flight center, taking a mover back to his father's office. The doors closed as he arrived. However, as they opened, he could see that Duval was gone. His father's body lay undisturbed in the center of the floor, but he could not bring himself around to look at it. 
Get Dr. Grinnell up here right away. Tell him it's an emergency. He took a few steps toward the window. His head hung low. He's on his way from the fourth level. Good, mumbled Neville as he stared out the window into space. Grinnell arrived as soon as possible. Using his instruments, he thoroughly examined the body of Darius Constantine. Neville said little as he kept his back to the doctor. Hmm, very uh, suspicious, very, very, said the young doctor. Neville, he called, but Neville was in deep thought. Neville, how did he die, Melvin? He asked without turning. Neville, said Grinnell as he rose. Darius was murdered. Murdered, cried Neville as he spun around and faced the doctor. He squinted and seemed to wind up like a toy soldier. I find that quite out of the question, doctor, he said as he looked at the body. I tell you, he was murdered. Join us next week for another exciting episode of The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future by Robert P. Fitton. Presented by Fitton Theater of the Words.